Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Great to have you along. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Amy Bateman. Amy is a fascinating person and I'm so glad she said yes to coming on to the show and having a conversation because she has a wonderful track record in business and she's kindly agreed to sort of come on, share some of that story and also talk about how she's building in public and looking forward to the future. So before I get into that, Amy, thank you very much for joining me today. Hi, Ben. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. And thank you for being persistent because I think you you invited me to be on a little while ago, but I was quite busy. So thanks for being patient and asking me back. I really enjoy your podcast. So good to be here. And you're in what, Cardiff? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Sunny Wales. Sunny Wales. Yeah. Yeah. I spent a lot of time there for work and stuff. I remember for being beautiful and interesting and all sorts of things. I also remember it for being in an angry kind of unionized work meeting as an HR manager or something. And I missed a flight, but I was actually in a meeting next door to the airport. And it was just driving me crazy during that meeting because I'm going, I can see the airport. I'm going to miss my flight because you guys are. Anyway, so, you know, (laughs) but I won't hold it against Cardiff. That's for sure. Brilliant. So I'm going to read some notes, folks, because Amy's just done so much. And so I want to do it justice. So Amy spent 22 years in the career development space, a former recruiter who became a career performance coach and eventually the CEO of a venture-backed edtech startup. As a recruiter, she placed over 2,000 professionals, oh my gosh, in new roles before founding Career Cake, which was an e-learning company that was voted the UK's number one career development platform. And as the CEO, Amy defied the odds by securing VC and angel investments across two continents, despite operating in a landscape where less than 1% of funding goes to female founders, which is absolutely true. So together with her amazing team, Career Cake scaled into 42 countries, supporting companies such as Nationwide, Companies House, and Tech Nation to upskill their people. And in 2022, Amy sold Career Cake to the amazing Dublin-based skills development platform Social Talent before exiting and giving birth just 30 days later. Oh my gosh. So 10 million people have taken Amy's professional development courses, including 3 million on LinkedIn Learning, and she's been featured on as a career expert on the BBC and Sky, etc. And we are then going to talk about the future. But Amy, that's amazing. What a journey you've been on. Are you fully recovered yet? No, I think people tell you how hard it's going to be. You know, people have been there, done it, got the T-shirt, people that have built... And you don't believe them, right? There's no way that you can ever fully imagine how hard it's going to be. And I almost think it's quite good that we don't believe them because otherwise we'd never start. Although sometimes I think that as entrepreneurs, we're kind of a bit messed in the head and we do it anyway. If I think about it like that, it's really hard to comprehend. It was just about week by week, month by month, staying close to the vision and remaining sort of radically focused on what we were doing. I think that might be why I said no to your podcast previously and just build it build it build it and I don't think I've quite caught my breath it's been 18 months since I mean obviously having a baby quite quickly after that has something to do with it but there's certain there's a lot of sacrifices that you have to make when you're building a business of that scale yeah and I don't think I've been able to pat myself on the back just yet I'm hoping that that will come yeah well let me say that then congratulations an amazing journey and I don't think people quite understand also the pressure plenty of people can build a business and grow it and so on but to build that with venture capital backing is one big thing. You know, suddenly there's that, a board. That's exactly right. There's a big one there. Yeah, and a team yeah. who are looking at payroll being made every month. Yeah. Customers. Yeah. That's the 
the perfect storm of stress I'm imagining. Yeah. And I think the dynamic of VC and angel investment, I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head there. I mean, that adds a different dynamic because the second that you take external venture funding, you have to exit the business or they need an exit within five to eight years. That's the expectation. Mm. So building a business where you can provide a three, four, five times return and sell it within five years that's crazy, right? Like, what are yeah. the odds? The odds are crazy anyway, and yeah. but we still play the game because we think we can do it. And luckily, I did do it. You know, we did find an acquirer in social talent as well. I'm yeah. sure you're familiar with them, and I'm sure a lot of your learners are familiar with them. To build something that we were so proud of and that we we loved the bones of, and then to hand it over to a business like social talent, I couldn't have asked for a better outcome apart from the fact that they're at the cutting edge and, you know, they're a great business and value add, they're actually really nice people. Oh, nice. And that just made the end of a 12-year journey just really wonderful for me and the team. Couldn't have been happy with the outcome. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, because we've all seen like Wall Street and things like that with this hostile takeovers. And certainly yeah. in my career in the corporate world, I was involved where there were acquisitions, divestments and stuff. And sometimes there were happy days and other times there were not so much. So yeah. When you can have that perfect meeting of happy buyer, happy seller, that's the great way to be. Yeah. So for people who don't know Career Cake, so you mentioned in the intro that you were a recruiter, which meant that you had lots of insights on how to help people either land roles, develop their career, that kind of stuff. And so you intended then to package that up as what bite-sized learning for people. And I remember reading somewhere that you started out by buying a camera for 10 pounds on eBay or something like that. So yeah. can you tell us about that part, just that yeah. initial starting part? Yeah, so actually Career Cake was never meant to be this ed tech platform providing e-learning support for businesses to upskill their people. That was never the plan. I don't think I was even really aware of that as sort of a 29-year-old recruiter. I just know that the credit crunch hit sort of 2010, 2011. I was the manager of the Welsh region for Robert Half at the time, mm -hmm. which is an American, for those that don't know, a big American, I'm going to say a big American animal, a big American beast of a recruitment business. <laughs> And we were having the most talented people coming into our offices and we just didn't have any jobs for them. Mm. Certainly where we were positioned in the market, we were very much public sector, we were very much manufacturing and the manufacturing in sort of South Wales was massively impacted by the credit crunch yeah. on the wall. We ate the credit crunch for breakfast. You know, we were trying to stay positive, but it was, well, we know there's a global crisis worldwide. So it was horrific, for want of a better word, and we had no jobs for them because why would somebody pay us £8,000 to find them a new finance director when they could go out and find a finance director themselves because everybody was looking for work? So they were coming in the office, and when I say they were coming in crying, I'm not exaggerating. Like, mm. they were coming in crying. I remember there was this one guy, and I don't remember his name. I call him John, and he has been with me every day for my career since. In fact, he was the story I told to raise all of my investment rounds. He had such a profound impact on me. He came into our offices and he'd been out of work for a while. He was a dad. He had three children. He was a finance director, really, really talented, sort of early 50s. And I remember I was placing him into a business and he was coming in for his like pep talk, you know, before he went to get, yeah. hopefully, the job offer. I was going to get a really big commission. I had Eye of the Tiger playing <laughs> in my head like, yeah, 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 yeah. This, this is all, is you know. Yeah. And at 29, I was a little bit cocky and, you know, I was quite confident. I was in a recruitment sale job. Mm. I remember going in to give him a pep talk and I walked into a room and he was white as a ghost. He looked like he was going to throw up. He was broken. 
And I remember in that moment just having a serious reality check in that, you know, I've got a man sat in front of me shaking and Eye of the Tiger stopped playing in my head and I just wanted to cry with him. He'd been out of work for nearly a year and he was really struggling to look after his family. And I think when you are being rejected and rejected and rejected for a long period of time, you can just forget you can forget your value in the world. Mm. And I remember thinking, if he doesn't get this job, holy cow, what's he going to be like when he gets home? Is he going to, what's he going to be like with his wife tonight? Is he going to take his kids to the park tomorrow? Or is he just going to sit on his phone watching TV, feeling depressed? Yeah. And I had this real realization that I'm not a marriage counselor and I certainly am not a life coach, but if I can help somebody just for eight hours a day, go somewhere where they feel seen, heard and valued, when they go home, they will be able to show up for the people that matter most, the people that they love. They'll be able to look at themselves in the mirror and like what they see. And that was when I decided that I wasn't just about getting people jobs. It's like, how exciting is that? Not really. You'll get a job, you'll stay there two, three years, and then you'll move to another job. Like, it wasn't about that for me. It was about providing an environment where people feel like they matter. And if I can get them in that room, into a room where they feel like they matter, then that was exciting. So I just went and bought a literally a nine pounds, 9.99 camera on eBay. Bearing in mind, this is 2010. Nobody was doing anything on YouTube in 2010 right. in the career 14. space. Yeah, there was no one there. There was no one really there. Not 2010. YouTube was just cats doing funny things in water, right? Like it wasn't <laughs> the respected educational yes. platform that it is now. And I just started making these videos in my kitchen. I mean, they were ridiculous quality. I mean, I had a bottle of vodka in the background of one. My cat was in the background of one. And it was just, this is how you write a CV. This is how you write a cover letter. This is basically how you get a job without me. This is how you don't need a recruitment consultant. You can make this happen yourself. And that's what it was. And I didn't have the guts to call it Amy Bateman. So I called it career cake because I like cake. No other thought process went into it. And when people came into the office and I didn't have any jobs, I would literally just say, but look at my videos. Hopefully this will help. And that was as far as it went, Ben. That was literally as far as it went. Did that cut it, off work opportunities for you? Like, did it? No, I didn't. It didn't really make much difference because nobody really took it seriously. People thought I was a bit ridiculous, really. And it got really big. So I think in the first six months, I got 5 million hits on my videos. Very difficult to do that now, by the way. There's a huge amount of career content on YouTube now. But at the time, I didn't really have any competition. And eventually, I quit my job to build this community. And I remember people saying to me, I can't believe you quit your job to make YouTube videos. Like, it just doesn't add up. Yeah. And I remember somebody said, a bloke at the bar who I'd worked with before, he just went, are you all right for money? Like, are you all right? Like, how are you making money? And I remember just thinking, I'm all right. Like, I just don't think you get what my vision is, but I'm okay, thank you. And that business actually a few years later paid me to go in and set up their own YouTube channel. Uh, they had, uh, had a recruitment uh. company. So yeah, there was a lot of stick around it, but I was just, I knew who I wanted to help and that's all I really cared about. And also I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I lived in a one bed flat. I was, you know, I didn't have- How did you make money from that? Yeah. So initially I had a little bit of AdSense, you know, but it was not a lot. I think in the early days it was like two, 300 quid Mm. a month, but then businesses started taking notice. So people would, so for example, AAT, so the Association of Accounting Technicians, Mm -hmm. I remember them paying me to make a video for their community once a month. So they had a forum and once a month I would answer some questions on video and that was really exciting. I was like, I make a four minute video answering a recruitment question and they're paying me? Like, this is crazy. I found an editor on people per hour as well to like edit it for like 50 quid or something. And then I started doing their programs for BBC Learning. 
I started doing keynotes, I started doing presentations and just helping people find their voice in a really competitive market. That's fabulous. I love that. And at the end of that story, the business gets acquired and there's a team and there's a venture well, the capital fund, yeah, all yeah. of that. But in between, it started out, so building an audience, then you backed yourself and you took that leap. But it was a lot of individual one-to-one, making some videos, custom things, coaching and stuff. So at, yeah. at some point you need a, what, a recurring revenue model or product. Yeah. What was that transition? So spot on. That's not the business that got acquired. Right. So I always think CareerCake was like two businesses. That was when it was just me building this community, having a great time, having a fabulous time, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> and helping you people. Know, yeah, just helping people, right? So... I built this really big community on YouTube and people were asking me questions that I didn't have the answer to. And I'm a firm believer, right, that don't give an answer to something if you're not best qualified to give it. it drives me crazy, especially when you're running a business. You always get people telling you how to run your business or have you tried this, have you done that? And, you know, a lot of the time it comes from a place of love, right? But a lot yeah. of the time it's just about their ego and it you really bothers me. The same is for your career and just life in general. Be really careful who you listen to because not everybody is best placed to critique you. We definitely want to stay open to the learnings and the lessons, but just because somebody gives you advice doesn't mean you need to take it. And I've always felt really strongly about that. So people were coming in and saying, I'm gay, how do I tell my colleagues? Or I'm being bullied at work. I've got a job, thanks for that, but I'm being bullied. What do I do? And I was like, I don't know. I'm a recruiter. I can get you a job. I mean, I'm 42 and I've learned some stuff. But at the time, I was like 30, 31. And I just hadn't been exposed to these problems and these learnings at that time. But I wanted to help them. So I decided that I know a lot of people that know a lot more about things than me. I know a lot about a little bit, but not a lot about a lot. So what I was going to do was use my recruiter skills and go out and find these talented people who could give advice on this specific problem. And then I was going to build a platform where people could access this information. And that's what I did. So I went out and raised venture capital. And for example, you've had a lady called Shola Kay, Mm -hmm. who's been on your podcast. So Shola was one of our career cake experts. So we had, in the end, we had 45 experts that we would, uh, I wasn't in my kitchen anymore. We had a a lovely soundproof studio over in Bristol that we used to use (laughs) and a production team. And I would go out and find people that I was a fan of, like Shola, who is an expert in something like Shola. And then they would answer that topic in a film studio. And then we would put it on a platform. But you're absolutely right. We have to monetize that. Like That's expensive to do, right? And it's great at this point when you've got like 20 million hits on YouTube, but that's free stuff. So how do you get people to pay for stuff when they are already expecting it for free? And that's where we made some real mistakes. So we started with a B2C model, thinking that people would pay, but they don't. And I understand that. So if they're looking for a job, and specifically the stuff that we were helping with was early career, so that's the first 10 years. Not a big budget. So if they're out of work, they're Mm. not going to pay somebody, but they don't have the money. And if they are in work and they're looking for somebody to upskill them now that they're in a job, then our audience are millennials. And typically, you know, millennials will look to their company to provide them with that education. They wouldn't expect to go out and obviously pay for that themselves. So why would they pay to be a better leader? That's a course or training that their business should pay for. So we were like, we've got this amazing platform. And it was really scary, really, really scary. We had to pivot. So we pivot from B to C to B to B. So we didn't just focus on making job hunting stuff. We made sure that we were doing a lot of onboarding. Yes, you're in a job, but how do you be the best you can be in that job? How do you you know, provide 
impact within that job? How do you stay within that job? How do you thrive within that job? And then once we pivoted, that's when that's when the business really took off. We became a licensor of content to LinkedIn Learning. For six years, we licensed a huge amount of our content to them. And also employers, forward-thinking employers would hire our videos to either go on there, you know, all videos, so we didn't do any face-to-face stuff, no, no one-to-one, no face-to-face, no workshops. You could hire one of our experts if you wanted to, and we would make an intro. We didn't take a fee or anything. That was just something we were happy to introduce sure. you to. But they would put our videos, our learning videos on their own LMS, or they would use our LMS, which was okay. I mean, we didn't spend a huge amount of money on tech, but it was pretty good. And they could create playlists and watch the content on our LMS. That's what we did then. And that's right. when the, yeah, that's when the business took off. And that's the business model that was acquired. Wow. Okay. And can I take you back one step? Because many, many businesses, whether they be consulting or technology or products, whatever, they, they come to a moment where they think this isn't clicking. Yeah, yeah. And then we hear this word pivot and people, they think they get it and stuff, but it's a massive decision. Yeah. It's a fork in the road. You go left, you go right. Well, how do you do that? How do you make that decision? Is there data gathered? Do you get your VC, your investors and tell them we're going to switch direction and do they then have a big argument? How do you make that choice? Exactly that, right? Because the thing is with a startup, with a venture back startup, you're typically... You're not growing really organically. You get an injection of money into it and you have an idea and you have to make it profitable before the cash runs out. And the cash was running out and we weren't profitable. So you kind of know at some point you're having that feedback loop, hopefully continually. You don't want to just put something out there and hope people buy it. You want to be building it with your clients, talking to your clients, you know, getting feedback all the time. And we just kept having the same feedback. So the B2C people would... They'd sign up, have seven days free, rinse the free content, and then cancel. And good for them. Like, we had a whole team of B2C marketers. We were like, good for them. Like, we used to even tell them, do that. Like, if you haven't got any money, just rinse it for seven days and then cancel. We will even send you, which we did, two emails to remind you to cancel so that you don't get funded. And if they did cancel, then they would they forget. They would write to us and say, we forgot and $19.99 has come out of my bank and I really need it. We'd be like, same day, pay it back. So we felt the pain and we understood it. And we were like, we're going to have to go where we're just going to have to pivot. It's either that or die. But so, when you pivoted to B2B then, was there a lot of competition for career development, learning Not at the time. It would have been easier if there was because the market would have been more educated. Oh, okay. But I mean, you're talking 2016. Yeah. So, you know, there were very few LMSs out on the marketplace. I mean, we built our own tech. We built our own LMS. It cost us about 150, 200,000 pounds to wow. build that. And now if I was building that business now, I wouldn't invest in the tech because there's enough off the shelf. Yeah, there's loads. Yeah. There's loads. Of, there wasn't the option back then. But equally, you know, when we started, LinkedIn Learning didn't exist. So Linda was still oh, yes. a platform. LinkedIn hadn't, I don't even think they'd been acquired by Microsoft. And if they had, it was really early. So LinkedIn hadn't acquired Linda at that time. It was really early days and not so much in the US because I went to Silicon Valley. I spent a week in Silicon Valley raising and pitching investors and the whole sort of online learning space is very, very mature over there. But in the UK, it just, you know, the big players had it, but it wasn't kind of the norm. And that's not a good thing. So yes, it's wonderful to be first to market. I'm not saying that we were first to market by any means, but we Mm. were one of the first but that's a really dangerous place to be yeah. in business because I always say to people now when I'm coaching them or mentoring them in their business, and I mentor a lot of founders now through various accelerator programs, 
if you're in a conversation where you're educating somebody on the benefit of your product, you need to end that conversation as quick as you can. You need to run as far away from that person as you can, diarize and come back to them and have a conversation in a year or two years' time. Let the market educate them. You only want to have conversations with people when they are looking for your product, they understand the value of your product, and they are ready to buy. And those people were really few and far between in 2016. So it was a real slog. But... You know, we knew we didn't have to take over the world. We didn't have to be the biggest of the big when Luna was created. We didn't think, oh, right, we need to compete with them. We just thought we need to just do something that they're not doing, which was at that time, it was very much sort of that early careers UK market. And we collaborate. We're not out here to compete. We just need enough to add value and collaborate. And that's what we did. I think sometimes... If you think we've got to beat everybody, then that's a really negative place. Yeah. But if you think, no, actually, we just need to create something of value that's different to what other people are doing and then hopefully collaborate. And I think that, you know, that served us well. And if I pause you on that one, sometimes you hear in these business talks or business books, or whatever, the blue ocean concept or the red ocean concept, you know, there's blood in the water or it's a beautiful blue ocean where there's wonderful opportunity and there's no competition. So what Amy's pointing out there is that it you want a blend, I think. You don't want it where no one's heard of your product. So if you think of electric vehicles, yeah, no problem. They're everywhere and people will understand them and buy them. But what is it, 15, 20, maybe a bit more years ago, they were available, but people go, what, an electric car? What's that all about? And don't trust it. So yeah, you want it where it's now you're looking for points of difference and how you do that. Amy, on the when you made that pivot, you said, all right, it's the employers, the companies that we're going to go after because they're going to pay for their career development for their people. How did you actually go out and find that? Because no longer are you just playing to your community and doing B2C one-to-one conversations or however you're doing that. How do you do it in the B2B sense, i.e. You know, getting out there, marketing and selling it? Well, we had to raise funding first. So we had to go to our existing investors and say, we got it wrong. And typically a startup, a venture-backed startup will take between two and three years to find market fit. So that's often understandable. And your early investors, if they're experienced investors, which hopefully they are because they don't just bring money, they're bringing some smarts with that. They've built themselves. And everybody that I chose had built a business and exited. I purposely wanted people that had been there and done it. They get it. They know that, you know, it's going to take some time. But as long as you have learnings, right? So one of the first pages in my pitch deck was this is what we learned last year so basically this is what we got wrong and this is what we've learned from it rather rather than this is what we did right yeah because you don't learn anything when you get everything right so these are the learnings this is what we're going to do differently this is why so these are the conversations that we've had and i had a brilliant head of marketing and product called a lady called lucy haskins who was my first employee who stayed with career cake for seven years and she built it with me she spent a huge amount of her time speaking to hr experts hr leads and just grabbing coffees with people and saying like we really we want to know your thoughts on this and then we built what they said they wanted so I was like, right, I need some more money. <laughs> and yeah. we're going into the studio and we made in four months, we made 50 courses. Wow. So we literally, I didn't see daylight for <laughs> about four months, I remember. But we had some brilliant experts come in to talk about, you know, their topics. And then we built it in public, which I'm a really big fan of. You know, you yeah. build it in public. Don't go away for two years, build something and then hope people buy it. Build it in public. What do you mean by build it in public for people? So our clients became part of our product. So we had businesses like Citibank, Nationwide, businesses that we really wanted to do work with. And we made them part of our product. We were like, who in your business has got expertise? Would they like to come and make a course? And then every time we finished making a course, even though it wasn't available, we were sharing backstage 
videos and we said, look, we've built this for you. Are you excited? Right, we're going to the studio on Monday. What do you want us to build? What course do you want? And just having that constant dialogue so that when we were ready to launch it, yeah, people were excited. And like I said, we didn't need to take over the world. We had enough. We had enough customers. So for people listening, that's a huge thing because for a few different reasons, building in public and getting involvement, input into the creation of the product or the service. Yes, it means that you're building a better product or a better service. You're making it fit their needs and so on. But also you've got their emotional involvement, I think. They're a lot more committed so that when you go back and say, all right, can I have that checkbook, please? You know, the check, they're far more likely to say yes if you haven't already pre-sold them anyway. And your referral rate, they'll be telling others because they've got that emotional attachment. We help create this thing. You should use it too. And so you've got that, not viral, but the referral factor going on. Is that fair to say, Amy? Spot on. I couldn't have said it better. That's exactly right. Because we didn't have the marketing budgets to compete with, you know, the big players. Sometimes you just need to leave your ego at the door and say, Mm. we don't have the marketing budget. Even with our experts, we were saying, I don't know if you're going to make any money off this. We think this is going to work and we believe this is going to work. But hey, I'll pay for your train. Just write something really beautiful, really impactful from the heart that's going to add a load of value and just come to the studio. I don't know if we're going to be able to pay you. But do it. You'll get a lot of exposure and I promise you that we will do our best. And that was kind of like what we said to our experts. And a lot of those experts did have courses that were licensed then and did make some money, but some of them didn't. But we try to always just be really honest with them up front. And again, make them part of the product, take them on the journey with you. And we would have experts contact and the ones that had a big book launch or, you know, had 100,000 followers on Twitter, (laughs) but they were just, for want of a better word, sorry to say this, they were arseholes. Ah. You know, and it was like, you don't actually like people. And you're just doing this to get another 20,000 followers or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no chance. Because our consumers, that millennial market, they're scrolling 18 meters of content on their phone every single day, mostly video content on their phone every day. They can sniff BS a mile off. Consumers now are so... They're so sophisticated. They're not stupid just because they haven't got a job or just because they're half your age. You're not better than them just because you have a video camera in front of your face. Mm. Like, given another situation, they'd run rings around you. So Mm. it was really important that we found experts to be part of our platform that just liked people that didn't have, you know, a stick at their backside. They were just nice people that genuinely wanted to help. And I think we did really well with that. And again, like I said, Shola being one of them, you know, these people were generally experts, but they liked people. So that was a really big part of it. So then you've got them going out and promoting your product as well and telling people about it. That's smart. But the great thing, what you said is that when you build in public and you take people on the journey, nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And we had that written in our office for years and years and years because there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of expertise. There's a lot of people helping and wanting to give advice on this. But I don't care. Until I know that you actually care about me, then I'll listen. So people, tell them how much you care and then they'll care about how much you know. So I think when you build in public, that just happens naturally, I think. Yeah, it's funny. And you've shared a few glimpses. I mean, just the fact that when you started doing your videos in the first place on YouTube, it was to help people because, you know, there'd been a gentleman and you'd say, not just him, but plenty of people crying and feeling huge stress and stuff. So you wanted to help them. And then moving on later when you've got the free trial thing and you're reminding people you can cancel. Don't forget to cancel because we don't want to take your money and if it's not going to help you and you're under stress. So there's obviously an ethos in you and in the company that you developed. 
if I move to the end of that story then, so how did it work that you sold your company? So we were looking for a buyer. I think at the point we were all, we were pretty much done. Like we'd been building it at that point, I think for six, seven years. And we were certainly looking for an exit. I wanted to have a family. I'd had some fertility issues and going through IVF and doing all of that stuff while you're mm. building a business is is pretty, is pretty stressful. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And the team were involved as well. And I said, look, you know, does anybody want to step up to the CEO role? Because I'm happy to, you know, had a conversation with the board about that. And they were like, no, no, I don't think nobody really wants to do this without you, Aim. So why don't we just try and find somebody to acquire us now? Maybe it's time. And I always kind of knew, I think I've got it to here. So in the sense of like, I've built it to this, but I don't think I'm the right person to get it from here to here. And I knew that a bigger team with bigger resources would be able to take what we'd built to the next level. And we all kind of recognized that. I certainly wasn't looking to do another venture raise or anything like that. So it was time, but it was also COVID. So it was also at a time when we were, well, no, actually the opposite. Because the world needed online learning more than ever. So COVID and lockdown actually was sort of shone a big light on a lot of e-learning platforms and a lot of online learning providers because people weren't going to work. Employees wanted to engage with their teams and their people while they were at home. So video and online resources was the way to go. So you kind of, when you're exiting a business, you kind of have to exit when you are the most attractive that you can be to a mark. So I know a lot of people that will exit businesses and they're not ready to exit. Like they're really not ready. They're still in it. They're still having fun. But the market conditions mean that if you don't exit now, you might not ever be as valuable as you are now. I think if we waited a couple more years, I don't think we would have been as attractive as we were because Everybody during COVID was (laughs) upping their content game, right? Yeah, it was just a mixture of a few things. We already knew social talent, so we knew of them. One of my investors had a relationship with them, had been a mentor, I believe, and a friend was also on their platform in terms of an instructor. They sponsored, we'd won the National Online Recruitment Awards, the Norman Awards. We'd won the best career advice platform in the UK a year before. Social talent had sponsored that award. So we'd had conversations with them for a year or so. They knew that we were looking for a year before we actually did the deal. Like I said, good guys. They were looking to expand. They were a really exciting time in their business where, you know, yes, they've got the hiring skills, but they were also looking for more onboarding and more content that could help people. So we did the deal and it took about nine or 10 months, I believe, you know, because legals do, but it was a really lovely process. And like I said, you know, I'm so proud and they're just, I continue to refer people to their business. I love (laughs) their business. I've worked for their business. I've made new content for their business. Yeah, it couldn't have worked out better. That's funny. So you built in public, but you kind of sold in public too. You were talking to the team. Does anyone want to step up and become CEO or something like that or other other options? And then you're talking to your your investors and then- Yeah, do you want to replace me? Because, you know, that's okay too if you want to do that. I mean, you know, a lot of the reasons why a lot of businesses fail, startup businesses, because the CEO doesn't leave when they're meant to leave. Mm. So as a founder, I was really good at building, but sometimes the person that yeah, gets yeah. it to one step is not the right person. So, yeah. and I recognize that, but now we felt like it was time and, you know, the opportunity came, the email came <laughs> and then Fabulous. I get to be a mum. Yeah. And then I get to go and have a baby. So let's yeah. just do it. <laughs> so 30 days later you gave birth. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> I'm curious. So you went through your acquisition and you had a team. I'm guessing you're going to do more. 
your business life has not ended. You've got much more to do. The next phase, I'll ask you in a second about that, but would you go down the investment and or team building approach again, or would you do things differently this time? Well, all the people that were on the journey with me to Exit Career Cake, they are building their own businesses. They're doing brilliantly. We still have our, yeah, we still have our Christmas parties. We've had two (laughs) Christmas parties since, so we don't even have a business. When you build in such an environment like that, that you become very close. So it's wonderful to see them succeeding. I have no inclination to build with employees again, although one of those people has a virtual PA business and she actually is supporting me on this journey and she is working for me albeit a freelance basis i'm not sure i would want to build anything without her she's brilliant she keeps me in check i don't feel at the moment that i have the desire or the energy to to build anything big again i probably will i know i will but right now i'm just being slow because the last one was so fast it was a rocket ship and my honeymoon i didn't leave my hotel room for three days on my honeymoon because we just closed an investment round we postponed my honeymoon to finish this investment round and I was so paralyzed by the pressure and just mm. everything. So I sat in my hotel room in Mexico for three days and my poor husband had to go down to the swimming pool all by himself. Like my life, I don't want to live that yeah. life again, as wonderful as it was. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to fly across the world for 72 hours to go to a meeting and then fly home. Like I just, I don't want yeah. that right now. I'm at a different stage in my life. So I'm taking my time and I'm building something again, but I'm going to build slowly and I'm definitely not going to have investors again. I have a lovely relationship with them. It's not that. It's just that I'm just not there in my life. I've ticked that box. I don't want to build in that dynamic again. And then you could start an umbrella manufacturing company or you could become a singer or a you could well, I definitely couldn't products. become a singer. No? <laughs> <laughs> I am Welsh though. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, there's oh, a bit of power there. It's just not in Rich tune. history, yeah. <laughs> but let's say you stay somewhere in the world of work, in that kind of sphere, let's say. How do you choose what to do next? Because people listening to this will be going, oh, I might be similar or they're thinking of pivots or whatever. What's your thinking process? So I would say it's really, it's difficult when you have multiple passions and also when you've being a business owner so that means you have to wear a lot of hats Mm -hmm. but ultimately you equally have to do things that you know will make money so for example one of the things that I thought about doing was to help female founders so female startup founders and you mentioned it earlier less than one pence in a pound goes to a female venture backed founder there's a real struggle there and there's a lot of stories that there that will land differently with female founders and I thought to myself maybe that's what I want to do I did quite a lot of coaching last year and mentoring in that space. Nice. But yeah, but then they can't afford to pay me. And the ones that can afford to pay me, I don't get as much satisfaction from helping them. I get the most joy and the most satisfaction from the ones that are bootstrapping really early on that don't have any money and, you know, rolling my sleeves up and helping them. Like that's where I get more joy there. Like I love an underdog. And I remember how hard it was for me. So I thought, I don't think I can build a business here, although I do want to spend my time here and I do want to help there, but I don't think I'm going to monetize that. That just doesn't feel right for me. So I'm still deciding at the moment, but I think I'm going to go back to the career space. Having, again, (laughs) the whole female thing, having been on the journey that I've just been on where I'm very often the only woman in a room as a tech founder... I have a real sort of affinity to helping brilliant women be seen, heard, and valued. 
in the marketplace. And, you know, we know the stats. We know that 21% of senior leadership teams are female. We know that less than 9% of CEOs and FTSEs are women. Mm. We know the stats, and I don't think I'd ever really cared about them in the way that I care about them now because it just didn't land with mm. me when I was in my 20s. I was in recruitment. There was loads of women in recruitment. It, it was all about how much money you make. But I entered a part of my career where it does matter and people do notice. I'm not saying it's harder, it's easier. It's just different being a woman in some spaces. So I feel like that's where I'm being drawn to. But at the moment, it's difficult because I have a really big audience and the majority of people that have commented on my LinkedIn posts and, and people that are asking me, when's your book coming out? You know, they're men. My husband was like, please don't only help women because I would want a female coach. And if you don't help men, then what about men like me that need a new job or want to excel in their career? Where do they go? I don't want a, you know, a really alpha strong man. I get that. I get that. So I don't quite know where I fit right now, Ben. And I'm being honest with you and I'm being honest with your it. listeners. And I'm still on the journey. I know I'll figure it out. And I will have to figure it out because, you know, I'm not a millionaire. I need to make money, right? Like nursery fees for my children, for my little boy are expensive, right? But I don't want to make a mistake. So at the moment, I'm still figuring that out. I definitely want to help people in their jobs and, you know, get promoted and be seen and get the jobs that, and opportunities, quite frankly, that they deserve. But I don't oh. know who my market's going to be just yet. Can I ask you about that? And by the way, as a side note, the helping women in the workforce, in the career development, things like that, or entrepreneurship, but I think within companies and career development, I think that's a huge market. And as you knew, when you pivoted to the B2B sector, it's the employer who will pay the check, not the individuals. And I think that's a strong strong area to go in but um, thank you for that that's really nice feedback actually i'll take that on board <laughs> but you're still thinking and trying to work it out and you don't want to get it wrong and all that sort of stuff but you went through this process and you mentioned your product manager or head of product something like that who helped you and did lots of learnings and discussions is it going to involve a similar process in other words what does this journey look like to learn because people listening will be going oh what is amy going to do to discover is it going to be conversations are you going to be looking at statistics what are you going to do good question ben this podcast is so good i've listened to a few episodes but i'm gonna to have to listen to more because your questions are brilliant so conversation actually with my previous head of product and marketing who's a dear friend she's like niche 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 come on niche that you know you have to niche and i get that when you niche and i know that i've got to niche i just don't know which niche just yet yeah. When you have to look at this, you have to look at what are people asking you for, but equally you have to go with how you feel. I'm a really big believer in trust the feeling. So when I come off a call with a certain demographic, so, you know, certain type of customer, how do I feel as opposed to another type of customer? Because whatever I'm going to do now, I'm going to do for the next 10 years. And, and if anyone's listening and they're thinking about their business, don't necessarily just chase the money because you'll be really bored in about 12 months time when you've got money in the bank, but you bloody hate your job or you hate what you're doing. So you need to really focus on the feeling too. And when you niche down, so if I did go down the female market and I help women, knowing that, you know, I've got this big marketplace and I would be cutting out a huge because people when they niche they think oh yeah but that's 50 percent of the workforce yeah and that's a really scary place to be however you have to set yourself up for some silence because you'll get crickets for a while and that's okay because you're making content and you're talking to an audience that you haven't maybe spoken to before if you have spoken to you haven't spoken to them in the way that you're speaking to them now and you have to power through that three six months of crickets that silence and trust yourself that your people will find you and you will find them. Mm. And eventually it will get noisy again and it'll get busy again. 
but you will get crickets for a while. And I think that's what's happened with me is that I forgot that and I started talking to women and then I got crickets and I was like, oh my God, uh, he likes my stuff. Like, yeah. And I think what I have to do is remind myself that that's okay, Amy, that's okay because your people haven't found you yet and you haven't found them yet. Yeah. And that's just part of the journey. But I think it's a majority of things, like you said, stats, conversations, and also gut instinct, but also your market intelligence. Like I've been doing this for 22 years. Sure. Like I know some stuff, right? Yeah. And backing yourself that again, people, if they know how much you care, they will care about you. So big time. The market has changed. Like you said, when you started, there wasn't YouTube was just for cat videos. And obviously that's changed and Linda and Microsoft acquisitions, all sorts of stuff. But there's probably a lot more in the market nowadays for career development and stuff. I know in the HR sector, there are people who are helping HR executives become the VP of HR. It's just that little area. Or there'll be career development for men, career development for women. Probably career cake started for the earlier career folks as opposed to executives. You know, so there's all sorts of ways you can slice and dice, I guess. But one thing I did pick up very much so, and it's such a cliche, but this whole find your why thing, that came through very strongly in terms of you wanted to help people and just help them when they go home, have a, a better family life yeah. and, and a career because of just getting through the door and getting that role. So what happens next then? How can people listening to this, how can people keep in touch with you, learn more about you or follow on your journey? Because, you know, seen, heard, valued, who knows what's coming down the line. Do you want to share what's next or how people can follow on that journey? Yeah, thanks, Fem. So at the moment, I'm being really focused with platforms that I choose So LinkedIn is the platform of choice at the moment. So I've come off sort of Instagram and all my other platforms. I actually don't have any personal social media platforms. I have no personal social media presence in my life whatsoever. So I am just on LinkedIn and I have a YouTube channel that I'm just starting as well. So my name is Amy Bateman. So you could just put that into YouTube or that into LinkedIn and find me. But at this stage, I don't really have anything to sell, right? I don't, I'm, 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 yeah, there's nothing to sell. There's nothing. I have nothing to sell you because I don't know what I'm building just yet. But this summer, I'm going to build something. We're looking at in about sort of four or five months time. But for now, yeah, just connect with me. Get in touch. Share your story. You know, did you learn something today? Is this something that resonated with you? Is this something that you think I should learn? You know, just to connect with people. I think that's what gives me the most joy. I love it. Well, I've learned so much and I love the journey you've been on. You created something that people really wanted and that helped them. But along the way, you've also created great products, learning opportunities, but the relationships, they seem to have been strengthened the whole way through the team members, the VC people, even the people who acquire the business. I just love that everyone seems to be smiling along and even people who are part of the team in the business that got acquired they're all building their own businesses oh yeah they're doing brilliantly (laughs) (laughs) so well done yeah that's great and well done to them so amy thank you very much we will have the links to your linkedin and the youtube channel as well wish you the best for the future and thank you very much for sharing your story today really appreciate it thanks Beth. thanks for joining us today on a better hr business the podcast that explores the world of hr consulting and hr tech businesses For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.